Let's go open the book of Romans. <clears throat> Paul wrote this book to the Roman church, the church that was at Rome. And uh, however it was organized, they got this letter. So all the bishops and teachers and elders were commissioned to read this letter to all the Christians at Rome, where there was just one assembly or a bunch of multiple assemblies. And so we get to partake of that. So every time I read one of these gospels, I think, well, this is written to me. It could be the church in Houston. So all these letters that we have recorded from, from the Holy Spirit can be read and writ, read to all the saints here in Houston. Isn't that fun? And so this is God speaking to us. Now, last time we did uh, some things in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and we're going to finish those today, but I did skip some passages. I want to go ahead and read if that's okay. So Romans chapter 9, the uh, theme was believers versus unbelievers. So the way God views the world now is through Jesus Christ, that there is now a savior for the whole wide world. And so God had dealings with people all throughout history in different ways for different reasons, and it all had to do with covenant. But once Jesus come, God made this new covenant with the human race. It started with Jews, then it was opened up to the entire human race. So we now, he now looks at this whole world, and there's two categories of people only. Right. It's believers and unbelievers. Right. Now, practically, there's more groups of people. Like there's Jews, and there's Gentiles, and there's the church of God. And so if we had all three of those in the same room, we'd categorize them three ways. You'll see that in the New Testament. Because there were Jews in the proximity of the original gospel or the first gospel that went out, Paul made mention that, hey, there's, there's Gentiles out there. There's non-Jews. They don't know anything. There's Jews that think they know everything. And then there's the church of God. And so there was commandment and instruction on how to be careful as you minister. Like, don't offend the Jews here and recognize what sins the Gentiles are dealing with. So there was instruction based on these groups of people, which we can do that today. But spiritually, there's two groups of people. Amen. Spiritually, there's two groups. It's believers and unbelievers. And so that's how you need to approach things. But we'll see some of that in here even tonight. So Romans chapter 9, we, we, we read a, a bunch here, but I skipped this passage. Verse 25, or verse 24, even uh, us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people, that's the non-Jews, there, there they shall be called sons of the living God. That was predicted in the Old Testament. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. So though there were so many descendants, only the remnant were saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as, as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Saboeth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What does that mean? Well, if God hadn't uh, uh, provided a remnant, if he hadn't ordained some of those Jews to be saved, they'd all been wiped out because of unbelief. But he reserved some open hearts to be saved and receive the Messiah. And that's all that passage is referring to. Verse 30, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. 
But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, the law of Moses, has not attained to the real law. It says the law of righteousness. We could say the real law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So this is just the fact that, uh, and it's really not just Jews, but particularly the Jews were trying to uh, be right with God by just keeping the law of Moses as it was commanded. They didn't realize things were supposed to change later and they were supposed to receive the Messiah and be saved by faith. They were still seeking this honor and favor from God uh, by the works of the law. And that happens with all false religions today. They're seeking to be right with God in some way by being good, by following religious orders, etc., etc. Chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant, you can, you can underline that, being ignorant... For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, anytime I read these scriptures, you know, people have, I've even had a friend tell me, he said, you need to make sure when you start preaching this that you tell people you're not anti-Semitic. It's like, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. Paul wasn't anti-Semitic. I'm just trying to help you understand the Bible. Paul wrote this letter. I'm just reading you Paul's letter. It's really all I'm doing. Yeah, but you're emphasizing. No, no, no. You're de-emphasizing it. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Like I said last week, no, no real Christian, no real Christian is anti-Semitic. No real Christian is anti-Jew. No real Christian has anything against any people, especially Jews, especially Jews. We don't have any ill feelings in our heart against any people, especially Jews. We, want, we love everybody. We have the heart of God in us. All the atrocities against the Jews in the name of Christ were done by false Christians, deceived Christians, hateful people. Moved by the devil. No real Christian would ever harm any Jew ever. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. What does that mean? Well, is it, this is an important scripture to, because some people get kind of nervous that, oh wait, Christ said, Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so they say, see, the law of Moses still needs, still is in action, still is active And we need to keep the law because Christ didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I agree. He he did come to to fulfill. He fulfilled it. You don't fulfill it. He fulfilled it. You don't fulfill it. You couldn't fulfill it. It was impossible for any human to fulfill it except Christ. So he came and did it for us. He fulfilled it and he ended it. He's the end of the law for righteousness. So to be right with God, you don't have to keep anything from the law. Now, anything good and moral in the law, we still keep that, but not in order to remain right with God. Our righteousness is dependent on us receiving Christ. 
Once you receive Christ, that's the end for you becoming right with God. Lifestyle's a different story, but you become right with God by Christ alone. So he's the end for us. That's good. So you don't have to go learn all those commands that were given to the Jews. And so that you can eat shellfish and bacon. And not have to stone rebellious children. Praise the Lord for that. Don't think any of you would be here tonight. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is from the law, which is of the law. The man who does those things should live by them, shall live by them. And what this is referring to that, hey, if you think you should keep the law of Moses, you better keep it. If you're going to claim Ten Commandments and all the others, you better do them. You should live by them. If you're going to, and, and then the scripture says, if you're going to keep one point of the law, you must keep the entire law. So you're obligated. If you think that it's holy to not eat bacon, now you have to keep the other 612 commands given to Israel. You keep one, you keep it all. And then another scripture, I'll just quote it, that if righteousness, being right with God, comes by law keeping or by the law, then Christ died in vain. He didn't need to die. If you could be right with God by keeping the law of Moses or keeping one or 10 or a hundred out of those commands, if you could be right with God that way, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. So it devalues Jesus when we try to bring the law into our current lifestyle, our current Christian lifestyle. It devalues Christ. And so I, I, I hammer this, and if you're tired of me hammering it, I'm going to do it some more. I mean, you're just going to have to get used to it until it's driven out of all New Covenant churches. I, I think it's honoring to Jesus. So let's keep, Paul hammered it. He hammered it. He wrote it in almost all of these letters. He, he addressed something about righteousness by faith. And he, okay, let's just read. All right. So uh, verse six, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ from the dead. What a strange thing to say. What's he saying here? He's saying, look, it's not hard. Don't make it hard. To become right with God, it's not hard. You don't have to go all the way to heaven and get Christ here. You don't have to go down and bring him back up. He already rose. He already seated. You don't need Christ physically present. Uh, you don't need, uh, so, so it's not hard. It's not hard to get Christ on the scene. It's not hard to be saved. It's not hard to become right with God. Don't make it some huge religious task. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. And that's what your story, your story tonight was that the guy says, is it, what is I got? Is it that easy? Is it that easy? Yeah. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for those that didn't hear the story, he, he led a Muslim to the Lord who 
believed and had seen a miracle. He helped him, his wife get delivered. He saw the miracle. The Muslim man is like, I've never done this before. And then he told him how. He said, is it that easy? He said, yes, just hold my hand and pray this prayer. What prayer? The prayer that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's a lot of Christians that really don't like that. You got saved by it, but then all of a sudden now you're going to put a bunch of burden on other people. It's like, oh, well, yeah, but did we, you didn't, did you really mean it? Well, you did, did you, but you haven't, but you haven't shown. Look, let's rejoice in their salvation and then we'll work on their lifestyle. Acknowledge that they're saved at least. Don't question everybody's salvation just because they kind of mean still. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, that just, that's the uh, encapsulation of, of, of what Christ, of how Christianity begins for a person, how the new birth begins, how righteousness begins. It's quite easy. Believe the truth of Jesus in your heart, confess him as Lord of your life. Now back to, uh, verse eight, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach the message of faith that we preach. It's right here. This, this word is right in your heart and in your mouth. And that's why, what makes it so easy. All you need to be saved is the word in your heart and the word out of your mouth. It's like your own heart and mouth save you. It's the trigger to cause the spirit of God to recreate you, rebirth you. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So the miracle of salvation happens with your heart and with your mouth. How did you get saved? With your heart and with your mouth. And then that, that word, uh, the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Don't, don't try very hard to separate those. Like, okay, the mouth makes you right and then confession saves you. No, don't try to separate those two. It's just two ways to say the same thing. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you're made righteous and you're saved. Let's put them together because they go together. Just two ways to get to the same end point that, that you will have soteria. Salvation is the word soteria. So that's the same way. The way that your soul is saved is the way that your body would be healed because the word soteria in the Greek would mean to be healed, made whole, delivered, uh, made complete basically. So it means to save, heal, deliver the word. So that's how you can take it from your original salvation into every other need that you have. How do you get that? How do you get needs met? How do you get healed with your heart and with your mouth, with your heart and with your mouth? How do you get delivered with your heart and with your mouth? You got a mental thing, you got a depression thing. How are you going to get freed from that with your heart and with your mouth, with your heart and with your mouth, you can get saved with your heart and with your mouth. You can have a miracle happen. How do miracles happen? They happen with your heart and with your mouth. Oh God, I need this. I need a big miracle, God. Well, it's right here. Oh God, I'm coming to you with a, with a grand request, 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 coming to you with this grand request. Don't act like that. It's right here. 
The miracle you need is not up in heaven. Like you're, not, you're not trying to poke a hole in the canopy. It's right in here. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. That's why we're trying to help you believe very strongly and then confess something very strongly. And that's why we quote scripture. And that's why we declare. And that's why you have to get your mouth open. You can, you can never get your miracle without your mouth being open. Pretty much, pretty much that's the way it works. You have to have a, a heart and a mouth that heart that believes and a mouth that talks. And, and at the time that you need the miracle, you don't feel like that's that easy. It feels like God's a million miles away. It feels like the wall is 10, 10 times taller than you. It feels like the devil is bigger than Jesus. It feels like it. Y'all are looking at me, well, I don't ever think. No, that's how you act. That's how you act. That's how people get all nervous and worried. That's how you're acting. And that's why we're trying to convince people so often. You can't worry. You can't be afraid. The devil's small. Jesus is big. You're in Christ. So what are you scared about? What are you worried about? Why are you fretting? Why don't you just go ahead and get your miracle now? Verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. That's interesting. God doesn't distinguish between Jew and Greek. I've made note before that you know, I, had a, I had a friend who is a preacher. And, he, he, and there's been more. Than, I've heard it from more than uh, one. They'll, they'll say, well, I have the double blessing because I'm Jewish. My mom's Jewish. I'm part Jewish. My mom's Jewish. I have the double blessing because I'm Jewish and I'm a Christian. You've heard it too? You've heard it too? Where do they get this stuff from? I, I know where. Uh, they, well, I know why. It's because they stopped reading their New Testament. Come on, preach it. Maybe they got some extra pages in their translation. I don't know. But there's no such thing as a double blessing. It's mean to do. It's very mean to do. Uh, and I noticed this our first year pastoring People would say, well, I, I know God loves me, but he, he really loves the Jews. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Don't do that. Don't do that to Christians. Gives Christians a second rate, you know, in the family of God. No, no, no. God loves everybody, especially those who love his son. Those who don't love his son, he's not doing anything with them. You have to believe in his son to have life. Amen. That's right. The wrath of God is on everybody who doesn't believe in right. Jesus. The wrath of God Amen. is on everybody. John three thirty six. Right. He that has the son has life. He that does not have the son has, does not have life. And the wrath of God abides on him. Everybody that doesn't believe in Jesus. The wrath of God is on them. So don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus Christ is the most important thing to God. And all who believe in Christ are the most important thing to God. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how th shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach lest they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is, uh, this is an important process here. It's very simple. It's, it's obviously common sense. But how in the world is anyone going to call on someone they haven't believed in. Right. 
And how are they going to believe in him of somebody that they haven't heard of? How can anybody call and believe on someone they haven't heard about? And how shall anyone hear about him unless there's a preacher? And this is not referring to someone went to Bible school. Preacher is a teller. A preacher is a one who heralds the news. So you run out with your paper and you tell it. You run out with your truth and you tell it. You run out with your testimony and you tell it. You run out with a scripture and you tell it. You run out with the simple gospel of the kingdom and you tell it. You run out with Romans 10, 8 through 10, and you tell it. And how shall they preach unless Pastor Chaz tells them to do it Wednesday night? How shall they preach unless they're sent? Well, Jesus actually sent us all. If people would read their Bible, they'd see that as my Father has sent me, I send you. You have been sent. Oh, no, brother, I don't want to go uh, overseas. Look, don't. Don't, don't uh, stretch this whole thing to some impossibility. No, no, no. You're sent next door. You're sent to the grocery store. You're sent to work. You're sent all over the city. You're sent in your realm. As my Father has sent me with power, with commission, with ability, with a, a, a message. As my Father sent me, I'm sending you. My armor is your armor. My equipment's your equipment. My commission is your commission. As my father sent me, I send you. So you're sent by Jesus. What more do you need? Well, you need pastors to remind you. You need pastors to remind you because you get bored listening to your pastors. Uh, God sends you evangelists so they can wake you back up. Evangelists tell you. You got to hang out with evangelists every once in a while. We bring some evangelists in here so they can remind you that it's all real. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got a witness. I forgot. I hadn't witnessed for five years. I got a witness. If you're not hearing it in church often, how are you going to preach unless you're sent? I, I kind of believed this passage. And that's why I think, I think Christians need a reminder every Sunday. I think you need a reminder. You need to be sent every Sunday. That's why we do it. That's why we, because if you're not sent every Sunday, you'll forget. You'll forget that you're, you're supposed to be a light on Monday. Some of you are forgetting anyway. I've said it so many times. It's like, oh, he's doing that count again. I don't know why he's got a count. How does he even know the count? How do they even know? Don't let the devil do that kind of stuff to you. No, there's a reason for this. Get into it. People are like, well, I'm not going to raise my hand. You know, I, I don't want to be prideful. You sound prideful. That sounds prideful. You're going to keep all the glory to yourself? I know, I'm, pick, I'm picking on somebody. I don't know who I'm picking on, but don't, don't. Okay, do it through the app then. Let us, let us know. Be part of what's happening. So how shall they hear without a preacher or a teller? Good news. And how shall they preach unless they're sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This whole idea of feet being beautiful, when you're preaching, when you're spreading the good news, your feet are pretty. So everybody look down at your feet and just say it to yourself. I got pretty feet. I'm just glad I got shoes on so nobody else can see them. Why, why does he use that term? Well, it seems like um, when your feet are coming with good news, people want to hear it. 
when you're approaching a door and they can see your feet under there, if you're bringing good news, they're going to be glad to see you. So that's probably what he's referring to. It's probably a colloquialism uh, that you have pretty feet if you're bringing glad tidings. If you're a mumbling, complaining type of a person, people aren't going to answer the doors like, If you're one of those people and you call somebody, they're, they're not answering. You're like, how come nobody answers my phone calls? You better check on that. <laughs> Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we find this truth here that you can't have faith till you hear the truth told. Right. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But I say, had they not heard... Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I'll provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I'll move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah very, is very bold and says, I was found by those that not, did not seek me. I was manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've stretched my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. He's just saying that this whole gospel went out to all the Jews. They had a chance. The believers got saved. The unbelievers stayed damned. And God moved on. Verse 1, chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I'm also an Israelite and of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Very clear. He's not talking about, has God cast away Israel? No, not in whole, not in entirety, because Paul's an Israelite. He's saying, I got saved. He didn't cast me away. Now we see that he's got a whole remnant of Jews who will believe. From then all the way till now, there's a remnant of Jews who still believe in Jesus, who, who have believed in the Messiah. Amen. And I want you to see verse 5 because it's going to come up again. According to the election of grace. And so this term election is referring to the believing Jews. There's other scripture that seems like it's talking about the church as well, or all the church, but in many cases, it's talking about when it says the word elect or election, it's talking about Jewish believers, a remnant according to the election. You'll see the word again in a minute. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You can read that 10 times tonight when you go home. All right. Verse 7, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. Meaning the elect out of Israel have obtained it. Israel as a whole has not, the elect have. And the rest were blinded. The rest of Israel was blinded. When you reject Christ, the veil, the dark, the God of this world blinds people. Just as it's written, God's given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow their back always, 
bow down their back always. Again, God gives them what they wanted. They rejected the Messiah. He says, okay, you can have your law. You can just keep the way you are. That's what you want. So therefore, spiritually, they received blindness. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And it's just really a... It's just really a natural order of things that now that the Gentiles have the promise and the blessing, the Jews who didn't believe are supposed to look over the aisle and say, they got my present. I want my present. And they should come to receive Christ. So it's not like God's trying to make them sin in jealousy. It's just for them to recognize, oh, you could come right back over. If you'll just go ahead and just receive Christ, you can come get the gift that everybody else is enjoying. That's all he's really saying. He's not saying, I want you to have jealousy in you. For if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be from life from the dead? For if the first fruit's holy, the lump is holy. If the root's holy, so are the branches. Now, I think we did this well enough last week. We don't have to go again. But basically, the family tree of God is Christ as the trunk or the vine, and you are the branches. And you're the branches only because you believed and he grafted you into the tree. Those who didn't believe, who once were in the family, he chopped them off. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, lying on the ground. They could be grafted back in if they would believe. That's what the rest of this passage says. Verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. Uh, verse, 20, verse 25, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part, not all, because some, some do believe, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there is coming a day once this church age is over when all Israel is going to be saved. Or let's be more specific, all Jews who are alive in that day will be saved. Right. Not all Jews who died in unbelief, Amen. they're not going to make it. But all Israel who are alive to see Jesus step on the Mount of Olives at the last day, they will be saved. Right. Why? Because they will believe in the Messiah. Verse 28 Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Talking about the unbelieving Jews. Unbelieving Jews are enemies for your sake. And that's why he's just referring to the fact that the unbelieving Jews persecuted all the believers of that day. They tried to kill all of the Christians. They tried, Paul himself, when he was not a believer, he was sent to, to persecute and imprison and kill Christians. Uh, so, and, and they killed Jesus. I mean, the Jews are the ones that really killed Jesus. People don't want to argue about who killed Jesus. Well, first of all, it was the devil that killed him. The devil is the one that actually killed Jesus, but he did it by moving the Jews. And then really, technically, the Romans did it. They're, they're the ones that actually, you know, made sure the centurions put him up there. So, but let's not get into it. It's the devil that really did it. But the Jews are the one that persecuted Christ. I'm not here to get us mad at the Jews. They're, they're, they're enemies to our message. For the gospel's sake, they're enemies. We don't go kill enemies. We love enemies. Jesus said, don't hate your enemies. Love your enemies. They're still enemies. Just love them. 
Okay, if you read the New Testament, this is what you're going to feel. If you read the New Testament more than the old, if you read the New Testament more than you watch the, the, some of the Christian TV stations, this is how you'll feel. You, you'll catch the spirit that right. unbelieving Jews are still enemies. We love our enemies. But it's all about this gospel. So we don't want to act like everything's hunky-dory between us because they have rejected our Savior. And therefore, they've rejected us or vice versa. If they rejected you, they really rejected me is what Jesus said. So they're enemies for the gospel's sake. But concerning the election, the saved Jews, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. So all the believing Jews, man, they're beloved because God made promises to the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's the passage where we get that truth. There's a truth put in right here. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now you've obtained mercy through their disobedience. So all of you were disobedient. Now you've got mercy. Even so, these also who have been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. And that's why we still need Christians going to Israel to preach the gospel. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. That's the way God looks at the whole world. Everybody is in disobedience. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Who has given to him and it shall be repaid to him? Uh, so this is a good way to kind of summarize all this. If anything has confused you or if anything is like, oh my gosh, why would God do it that way? Well, just let verse 33 help you. How unsearchable are his ways. Let's not try to figure every single thing out that he's thinking. You got to give him a little leeway to remain a little bit higher than us. Who has known the mind of the Lord? I mean, we have the mind of Christ, so we get to know a whole bunch. But let's leave a little gray area if we have to, rather than get uh, kind of shaken by anything we don't understand. For of, him and th for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, I will show you one more thing here. Go to um, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, we'll end with this. I know I pick on Christian TV stuff a little bit uh, because for some reason, I, you know, for some reason they get into a habit and, and then others catch the habit and it just leads us wrong, leads us wrong. I've seen it lead Christians wrong. But I wanted to address this a bit because on, on TV, what you will hear regarding Israel or Israel, is that God made an everlasting covenant. He, he made an everlasting, it's an everlasting covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, everlasting covenant. And they'll say that term over and over again. You ever heard that over and over again? How many of you have heard that term everlasting covenant? Raise your hand. He said it to the, to the Jews uh, several times, many times, uh, re regarding the covenant he made with Abraham, because that's what he said. It's going to be an everlasting covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is what you hear. Uh, in the New Testament, you'll see that term once. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. You'll see that term once in the New Testament. But we want to make sure we understand what he's talking about. So Hebrews chapter 8 here, uh, you have to recognize that if you know your Old Testament, you'll, you'll remember that God promised the Jews over and over again that he was going to make a new covenant. Right. 
that he was going to put his spirit in us, that something was going to happen. The Messiah was coming. Change was coming. That there was going to come a day when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and, and that God was going to make a new covenant with the house of it. Several times in the Old Testament. So that was part of it. They should have, re, re, if they knew their Old Testament, they would have re, realized, oh, something's coming different. So when the Messiah comes, it's going to change something. Not just take over the nation. Verse 6, talking about Jesus, 8-6, Hebrews 8-6, but now he's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So there's a better covenant with better promises. For if that first covenant, that's the old covenant, had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So there was a problem with the first covenant. There's a problem with the old covenant, problem with the covenant that God started. Uh, and if there wasn't, we wouldn't need the new one. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming. This is from Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this was a promise in the old covenant that he's going to make a new one. Not according to the, so he's making the new covenant with the house of Israel. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. None of them will teach his neighbor and none of his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. That's a big deal. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It hasn't vanished away just because you got a copy of it right here. But it's obsolete. Old covenant's obsolete. He made a new covenant. You okay with that? But I thought it was an everlasting covenant. Oh no. Oh no. It's an everlasting covenant, but he made it obsolete. Possible? No. It just, it just followed God's plan. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. God's plan was to make a new covenant, which was actually part of the old covenant. The covenant with Abraham was that his seed was going to inherit all things. We are children of Abraham by faith. All believers in Christ inherit all things because Christ is the seed of Abraham. So the everlasting covenant is still in effect, but it's been altered by Christ. That's all it is. The everlasting covenant started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Christ came and boom. Now it's headed this way in Christ, same covenant or an alteration of the first. Now it's a second. Not two covenants. You don't get to pick. Right. Only, really, the old covenant led you this way. The new covenant leads you this way. They were supposed to take a detour. So the, the everlasting covenant is still in effect, but it's changed. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see it right there? It says the blood of the everlasting, what do you think the blood of the everlasting covenant is? Well, it's got to be Jesus. So there is an everlasting covenant. It's in Christ. I mean, Christians have known this for centuries. So don't, don't be detoured by what, what others might be saying. I don't care how popular they are. Don't be detoured. Now, you, you've heard me preach on this before, but I have to say it more than they're saying it. Uh, and again, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm glad you all are enthused about it. I get a little technical sometimes, uh, but the whole idea, the purpose of this whole thing is so that you can recognize how valuable Jesus Christ is. It's only his blood that makes us right with God. It, it's, the, it's the glory of the whole thing. To him, I mean, the way that the, the Holy Spirit says it, to him be glory forever and ever, well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. All of these things are all about being in Christ, being in Christ, being in Christ. It's the glory of everything. Don't, don't take people to a carnal, natural place and try to get them riled up about something that doesn't include Jesus Christ. He's everything for all of us. This is the everlasting covenant. We are living in it. And only those who believe in Christ have it. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is the Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.